Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health show. My guest for today is Silky Glab, an executive coach and consulting psychologist who helps leaders reach peak performance by removing burnout, anxiety, and stress from them and their teams. Silka trained with a broad range of international experts like the world-renowned therapist Marissa Peer and Professor Dr. Justin Kennedy from Applied Neuroscience Coaching. She is a recognized member of Forbes Coaches Council and a rapid transformational therapy practitioner. In this interview, we talk about mental health, burnout, and stress, mostly in work environments, how to recognize it, how to seek out help, and why it is important. We also explore the shame that surrounds mental health issues in work and the feelings of inadequacy that come with it. Now, before we go into today's episode, I want to remind you that we are still taking applications for a group coaching program. To learn more and to apply, just head on over to dre.show for slash coach. In any case, I don't want to keep you any longer. Here's my conversation with Silky Glad. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello and welcome back to the Highway to Health Show. I am joined today by Silky Glab. And I hope I said your last name well. Did I? Yes, you did. You're doing oh, perfect. pretty well. Perfect. Welcome to the show, Silke. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. E, to have me on your show. I'm really excited. So am I. You see, the whole topic of mental health, we've addressed it in different situations so far here, but it, it almost always revolves around everyday people, right? So we've had a couple of people share their struggles with mental health and with depression and all these different things. But I am very interested in learning your take from your experience of working with high level executives and busy people and business people in general. Why is it so important to address and to look at mental health even in these circles? Yeah, in very high executives, it's still really a stigma. You rarely get them. So I, I actually work more with entrepreneurs or founders or solopreneurs and experts. And what I realized that in this realm, it's still yeah a stigma. Some people have started now to talk about it. And you also have to see that, especially entrepreneurship, being on your own or starting something involves quite a number of mental health issues. They have their roots in stress, how your body can cope with a stressful environment. In such an environment, you have maybe you're depending on funds and funds are not going through. You have a high workload, especially in the early years or out of sudden, your business is not moving forward. Yeah. And maybe and often a business also fails. That's also a traumatic event. Yeah, you have invested a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of money, and then it doesn't work and it fails. This is like losing someone. Yeah, it's a time of mourning. It's a traumatic event. And you have lots of sources in such an environment, yeah? Maybe even your whole lifestyle changed. You put in a lot of working hours. 
you're not eating enough, you may disconnect from former friends because you invest so much. And then only something has to happen and then you collapse. And that's, so to say, where I have my focus on when uh, stress becomes more than stress. Maybe you start with a burnout, and if you don't address that one, it can go into depression and anxiety. I see. But before we get into all that, and that's incredibly important and necessary because you're absolutely right. I think that we've gotten to a point where we're surrounding ourselves with stressful situations because you know there's a lot of things that we want to achieve. There's a lot of challenges in front of us. A lot of the times we also put ourselves unpurposefully, but we put ourselves in these stressful situations. So it's very, very important to have somebody that we can talk to or that can help us address these things and overcome them. But before we get into that, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background? What got you into this whole thing? Yeah. So my background, I actually studied psychology and I um, had my master's in organizational psychology. But then I stayed more on uh, training and uh, coaching. I did. Uh, I was a trainings manager in a very huge call center in, in Germany. Then I went to Kenya as a development worker. It was community work. Then I worked in the private sector in schooling and education. And there I could also see already roots. Yeah, why people maybe in adult life don't function as it could be. And then I really specialized on this kind of coaching for experts, entrepreneurs and executives. And maybe a personal story why in the end I focus now on this kind of group. Because my parents, they had ages, centuries back. They had a hotel, like a family business. It ran very well for 14 years until it hit a financial crisis, really a big financial crisis. And my mother was not able anymore to cope with it. And having three kids and one day I can still remember in the living room, the brown carpet was then covered with all the blue accounting books, which he had thrown on the floor and just that and out. And this not only meant that she was out of the business, but also like uh, she had to really take care of her mental health. She was out of the business nearly for eight, eight years just to recover from it. And then I realized how important mental health is if you run a business for yourself and how easily you can be triggered by outside events. So it can trigger a mental health issue. Absolutely, for sure. You're absolutely right. And I think... And part of the reason why I was so interested in having you come over here to the show and talk about these things is exactly that, because a lot of the times we don't realize that many of our successes and our failures don't necessarily have to do with our skill 
in terms of what we're currently achieving. I work a lot in my business, the one that actually pays the bills. I work with doctors, with other healthcare professionals, and we train them and we show them, help them with their branding and their marketing and all of these things. And in reality, a lot of the times they start feeling burnt out when their practices aren't working. They start feeling like a failure because they've gone through all these years of schooling. They have all this training. They have all of these skills, all of these hours. They have the stress of a lot of times surgeons. They have literally people's lives in their hands, yet their businesses aren't moving forward. And it doesn't have to do what one of the things that we try to emphasize is that that is not a reflection of your skill set as a doctor. That is a completely different skill set that you have to develop. Is this something that you also see a lot of? Yes, because you start very well. Yeah. And maybe even for some years, it, it goes very well. And then you invest even more. You grow yeah, because you say, I'm in this stage and now I'm growing. And out of sudden, there are no clients anymore. Or you have the returns are not coming back. Yeah. And then you feel because if you have your own business, a failure of your business, it's very much attached to you. If you're employed with someone, maybe there is some social compensation and you can just leave that company and apply somewhere else. But if it's your own, there's also financial things and money is one of the key sources why people get stressed. Then it's also something you believe your business is a reflection of your own personality, a reflection like your own child. And now you see your child is not uh, improving, it's not growing, and then you attribute it to yourself and you say, yeah, the business is failing, so I am failing. And there's maybe also a personality type behind it, someone who is a high achiever. And then out of sudden you see you achieved high grades in medical school and in other university degrees. And, and here out of sudden you don't achieve something, you get the opposite. And that's something really difficult to comprehend. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, like we're very well saying, and it can be a doctor because that's what I normally see, but it can also be like a high level executive, a programmer, pretty much anyone, accountant, a lawyer, when they start having all these struggles, like your parents, the story that you shared about your mom and the fact that their business was struggling had little to do with their skill at what they had to do for that one job and a lot to do with caring for their mental well-being because they were not showing up well-prepared, right? They were not showing up in a meaningful state. Yes. And then there comes also something that's uh, rarely discussed. It's something, how strong is your stress response system? And this stress response system is already developed in your mother's womb. When your mother had a lot of stress, these chemicals, these hormones are released in the bloodstream and also reach you. And uh, your, your brain is growing and that also has influence. Then you can compensate for it when you come on earth. If you have a good attachment to your caregivers, so if your parents help you how to deal with emotions, how to regulate back certain emotions, 
if this stage is also already weak and you have experienced other events in your life in your early childhood maybe there was a divorce of parents or you were bullied or there was a, a person in your family who was very ill or separation in one way these are actually again traumatic events or you were abused emotionally physically sexually whatever this also has an influence on your stress response system Like in my mother's case, she grew up in, yeah, in the last stages of the Second World War. Yeah, so bombs on Germany and whatever. Yeah, there, there was already a high stress arousal. Then later in life, your stress response system and how you conclude certain situations that you feel helpless. And of course, you were helpless when you were a child. That's normal because you're not an adult and you have limited resources. That's a quite big concept of the psychological side of stress, of burnout and depression. That's learned helplessness. Of course, of course. And I think you bring up a very valuable point, and it is, and something that actually our listeners are going to be very receptive to, and it is, how is our lack of control of our emotions and our emotional intelligence in general, how is that affecting our children growing up? Because a lot of the times we are super stressed trying to shield them from all of these things. But in reality, they're still learning to respond that way, correct? Yes. They learn how you react to certain situations. And if the parents are stressed and dealing with their own issue, you don't have also the time to attach to your kids. And this is what I, like, uh, growing up in such an environment, I can say, luckily, the first six years, they were quite healthy. But then from that time on, it was really <laughs> a havoc on everything. And if I didn't have at least a certain base, it would have been really a struggle because that's also the energy you create in your household. If you have financial problems, even if you try to shield that from your kids, the energy is still there. You, you can't pretend. Yeah. They sense that you are stressed and even how you are being attached to your child when it's still a baby. This also has influence. The child is learning from you how to regulate his or her emotions. And then later in life, you have to learn it. If you have not learned that, then it, it's very important to learn that later. Is this what most experts and most people refer to as emotional intelligence? I think the concept of emotional intelligence is a little wider. It's like how you regulate your own and how you can be empathic to other people. I would more say it's a skill how to self-control yourself. And in school, they try to teach that to kids. It's a form of aggression prevention programs that you teach uh, children. It's also quite common in the U.S., to teach uh, children how to regulate their emotions. If uh, impulses come, that they know how to regulate it back and then make better decisions or solve problems better and 
to speak out how you're feeling at that certain moment. I see. I see. So that's more in terms of mindfulness. And- yeah, mindfulness and self-regulation. How do you start working with people in these regards? Because I think that part of the challenge behind all this shame that is with a lot of mental health issues is that people don't necessarily reach out for help, right? So how do you start working with them? Are you just seeing them when they're completely burnt out and they're like, oh my God, I do need somebody to help me? Or are you starting to see this turn a little bit where people do start reaching out before they get to that point? Yes. In my case, they already burned out and then approached me. But I'm also creating a lot of awareness on on LinkedIn, on YouTube, just to to show certain concepts. Well, what is depression? What is really stress? What is burnout? Because people are not fully aware of what it is. And then teach also, educate about self-care, what is very crucial for your own way of living. And then what you can do on your own to self-regulate back. And another thing is also a kind of self-reflection. And self-reflection is then what I'm doing in my, my sessions to really create, go back to the root source, why you have a certain belief about yourself, why you found yourself in a situation like burnout. Yeah, what I said, it's the psychological side and then upgrade these certain beliefs. And one of limiting beliefs are often, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, I'm not helped, I'm not supported. And then people find real events in their lives when it was like that, when they felt helpless. And to create awareness, this time is over, you're an adult now. As an adult, how would you now react in the same situation? That is actually an interesting point you bring up because it is something that, like I said, that I see with some of these other clients that we have in our other business. And these are like super successful doctors, yet they still have that feeling of inadequacy of I'm not good enough or I'm not as good as X. I'm not as good as this other. I can't do that. So why do you think this happens to us as human beings so much? Because everyone thinks that I'm the only one and look at everyone else, they're, they're succeeding. But in reality, it is this feeling of inadequacy that holds us back 99% of the time. So why do you think this is so common? I think it started already in your childhood, maybe certain comparisons that were made or you had events that you wanted to do something, but then you're parents said, okay, you're still too young for that, or your marks were not so good like other classmates or from your siblings. Yeah, these kind of comparisons. Or if there were certain really traumatic events that maybe a parent was abused and you wanted to help, but you couldn't do because you were still too too young. It can be extreme cases, but also in school, like when, when I grew up, it was uh, uh, that when you had an exam, the others, of course, did know what mark you had. And then you started, oh, you have an A, oh, you have only a C minus, whatever. And even the teachers often compare with each other, or even in a sports team. 
Yeah, if someone always or in most cases told you it was good, it was okay, but still not good enough. It is surprising how prevalent it is because even in families, I mean, you have parents that compare siblings with one another like oh you did great but look at your brother how he did this or look at your sister how she's doing this other thing or look at your cousin or a lot of the times i know that parents do it kind of in a way to motivate children to say like you know what you can do better because look at so and so he's doing better so you can as well but what you're telling us is that those comparisons can in, in a way of course they can motivate us because we hear all of these this very example that say you know what whenever i saw that somebody else was doing it i knew that i could as well strive to that but what you're saying is that most of us will actually start internalizing some of these things in certain areas and start adopting that feeling of inadequacy because well i can't do it and also in school is also or as a parent is better to say okay You are at that point now. Where do you think you could go? And now we see together how you could achieve it. And uh, that's also a principle they want, even in the school system, not to see the average of the class, but to see each child individual and see, okay, this uh, child is right now here. Maybe compared to the, the average of the class is behind, But for the child, we set another goal and then we work on that goal and see the individual process of that child. It's starting now. It's starting in the school system. And it's also good to, for parents to be aware of that, to, to see an individual and not to compare to others. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And we see it all across the board. We don't see it just in like elementary schools or even high schools, because for instance, if you want to get to a, a good college, you need to have a certain grade. And if you don't make the cutoff, you don't make it. If you want to make the team, you need to be above a certain level, because if you don't make it, you're not going to get there. So I do think that We live in a world where there is this competitiveness, where you will have to get to a certain point, where you will always be comparing yourself with somebody else. Because if, if more than one person are vying for the same spot, then you have to compare yourself. But I think that the mistake that we make is to believe that or to base our beliefs in terms of what the person next to us can do or has done in this one particular area. And it reminds me of how Jim Rohn used to say that, a tree doesn't care how much the tree next to it grows. It just grows as much as it can, right? It doesn't care if the tree next to it is growing a lot or a little. Yes, and this is the thing you actually really have to learn. It's not that you as a person fail, yeah? You as the personality, Dr. E, you are not failing. A certain behavior or a skill you have not developed yet, This is may still needed to really reach you, your goal. And it's really a skill to detach yourself, to see what others are doing, to observe it, to stay up to date and maybe adjust your own goals. But then you really have to focus back on yourself. And the market is it entrepreneurship competition is not becoming less, it's becoming higher. Even to get a job, a good job, is very, very competitive. To survive as an entrepreneur, if you see others and 
how others post, how people put themselves in the forefront. If you always compare, you will end up really depressed. It's good to see, but then focus back to yourself, to your own strength, and follow your journey. Of course, of course. And it is a great point that you bring it back to your type of clients and the competitiveness that is in these circles. Because what I'm trying to get to is the people who are listening to this show most of the time, and because we know this, they're busy moms and dads, and many of them have jobs, and many of them have careers, and, and some of them do have their own businesses and, and, and everything. But I think that we tend to idolize a lot of the times these founders and these CEOs and these developers. And the fact that you're bringing it out and saying, you know what? No, no, they struggle with the exact same things. They have this feeling of inadequacy. They have this stress. They have... because. A lot of the times it's very easy for us to say, oh, well, yeah, of course, of course, it's easy for, you know, I'm just going to go to the extreme for Mark Zuckerberg or for Jeff Bezos to do these things. Look at all they have. But believe me, they have stress or they have sources of stress and they know how to handle them. You look at Richard Branson and they're like, oh, well, of course, that Richard Branson lives a great life. Like, you know what it's like to have all those lawsuits on you and your companies and to, you know, be in charge of all these families have all those things. So they have found the system that works. And I think a big part of it has to do with how they control their emotions and how they're in control of their mental health. I think that's the big factor between one person and the other. I don't think it's sheer talent. You even see it in sports. You see the golfers, the number one in the world, you see Tiger Woods and number 150, their skill set is very similar the things that they can do in the course are very similar. The difference is in their mind. It's in their mind. And then there's also luck, of course, yeah? Because that's also something we underestimate. And for me to have this, what you differentiate, to have it in your mind, is really to have good self-care, sleep really enough, eat good nutrition, your neurons in, in your brain, they need good proteins, they need good fatty acids from olive oil, omega-3s, also from nuts if you don't have an allergy. It also needs this emotional control that's very important. Be together with friends, have a good family life. That's very, very important for you to get a sense of belonging. That's our social brain. And have also activities like um, if you're seated the whole day, become active in your free time. If you're very active during your day, then make something like yoga, like tai chi to bring you down. And have like a mission in your life. You don't need to be changing the world. I really believe if you have a good family life where your children really learn from you and your children are growing up very nicely, you have a good job that really brings you happiness and joy and you like what you do, then you're on a very safe side. But if you're going into a job and you ask yourself, oh, even Monday comes and I even don't want to go and I had so much dreams and my dreams will never be fulfilled. See if your dreams can be fulfilled in a hobby. Maybe you don't become an artist, 
and sell paintings and what. But maybe you start uh, to draw for yourself, to make it a hobby. Then you can still fulfill your dreams and you feel very happy about it. I think it's great that you opened this door. So let's get into the practicality of it. For those people who are listening to us right now, what do you normally recommend as the first couple of steps when somebody comes to you and says, you know what? So okay, I'm super stressed. I just don't see how, you know, how I'm going to get out of this one because we always think that this really is it. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I mean, I'm really at the deepest end. What are your first few recommendations? And you mentioned a couple of things in terms of mental health. Yes. So I also asked some questions about their own self-care. And I use a word that's called sneeze. The S stands for sleep and for nutrition. The first E stands for emotional control, mindfulness. How are you able to regulate your emotions? The second S stands for social activities, to be really among friends, yeah, to meet really up with people and uh, activity. Yeah, after the E came, uh, came the A, activity, like uh, do some sports, go for a walk. If you're not a sport person at all, then go for a walk in nature for half an hour every day. That's also something. So what was that again? Because you said sneeze, but I thought sneeze is S-N-E-E-Z-E. S-N-E-A-A, then S again, social activity. And another E for... Enthusiasm. So S N E S N sneeze S N E E A S E S N E S exactly. So okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, because I was trying to follow with the acronym, and I'm like, oh wait, wait, there's no. But now I get it. <laughs> yes, so it's sneeze, and this is for your self care, and. Another step what I do with clients is this honest self-inquiry to find out why certain beliefs, certain behaviors are here now. From where do they come from? Go back in time, upgrade these beliefs because they were made maybe when you were five years old, seven years old, 11 years old. And now you're 35 and you're still running on these beliefs and with beliefs go also certain actions. It's a whole program. You have a belief and with a belief, a certain action comes. Therefore, you have to upgrade these beliefs to be able to have new actions. That's great. And how does somebody go into changing their beliefs? A lot of the times it's, I think it's one of the hardest things to realize and to decide to change. I don't necessarily think that the change itself is difficult. I think that making the decision that a belief isn't serving you and that you need to change it is the hard thing. So how would you coach someone who wants to do that? Yeah, I would even say before changing or willingness to change, you need to have awareness what's running you. And that's often hidden. So in a coaching session, you really have to find out what is underlying. People come with symptoms. Oh, I'm like this. 
yeah, I had one client, he, he came and he said, I'm totally burned out. I'm already went to a psychiatrist. I'm working with the psychotherapist, but I'm not really improving and my business collapsed and my relationship and whatever. These are the symptoms. And then to create what I normally do in the first session is, so here you are and there's your depression and there's your relationship. And I ask people to consolidate it in kind of objects. Use something like a glass or a ball or a key that represents you, then something that represents your depression, burnout, and uh, your relationship issue. And then we see, first of all, what kind of object you use and what is the relationship, what is the overall picture we see. And that's the first step to find out what's really underlying. I can also ask questions to, to go deeper to see what's beyond. And then if people went to this kind of journey of digging deeper, then they're already willing. Then they say, oh my God, this is running me. This is all what it is. And with this, there is the willingness to change because I all, before I ask them, so do you want to continue with this? Or we go back in former events and then they say, oh my God, I was here and I could see that I really wanted my father to stand next to me, to be near to me, but he was always out. He was always uh, on business trips. He came home late. And I really lacked the presence of my father. And so I thought, I concluded, as he was not here, that I'm not so important. Because if I were important, then he, he would, would be come here. home earlier. Ah, that's that's interesting. And you're absolutely right. I think about that whenever, you know, we moved here to Spain a couple of months ago, my wife and I, because she's from Spain. We were living in California. We moved over here. And one of the things, I mean, I really like it here, but whenever somebody asks me, like, so how are you enjoying it? I said, listen, I really, really like it. I like the way of life. I like that you get to walk everywhere. One thing that I cannot stand is the amount of people who smoke. And it's crazy the amount of people who smoke everywhere on the street and you're walking and they'll blow smoke in your face and it's just so prevalent, right? So whenever I bring it up, there's always a smoker nearby and they'll say, you know, yeah, I hate it and I wish I didn't smoke. So you're absolutely right. A lot of times people want to change those things that they do. And I believe that being a smoker is part of just having that belief and having that identity because there's not a single smoker that will tell you, I enjoy being a smoker. They might make stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and they even stay with this uh, long exhale. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're forced to breathe. Well, exactly. That's the and thing. breathing is the best tool to calm you down. And then it's also like you're craving for it. It's already an addiction in your mind. And uh, there, there was this great TED Talk where the person asked his clients, now, just smoke a cigarette and be really mindful about it. Smell it, taste it, everything. And then they said, oh my God, it's really horrible. It's just this tear and whoa, yeah. And then people became aware what it actually is. But, but they just use it just to calm down. It became part of their identity. 
and it's also an addiction. You're grieving for it. If you're nervous, I need something in my hands. I have to breathe. But the reality is that a lot of the times people think that they're addicted just to the nicotine and they're addicted to pretty much everything. But what I was trying to get to is the fact that you're right and that I told you that a lot of the times people don't want to change. And in reality, a lot of times people do want to change, but they don't have the awareness of realizing what belief is making them run through these habits. Because most of the time, these smokers have a belief that they cannot quit, that it's hard to quit, that it's impossible, that they will not enjoy social occasions anymore, that they won't be able to enjoy a drink. This is something that has always baffled me. People think like, oh, well, how am I going to enjoy a meal? Because I always have a cigarette after a good meal. It's like, just don't have it. And it's it's completely fine. You can enjoy it. Or I can't go out with my friends anymore because whenever I drink, I need a cigarette. Like, really, they don't have they don't have anything to do one with the other. So it is about being aware about that belief. And, you know, obviously, smoking is a very black or white example. But these beliefs are running our lives in so many ways. And whether it is, I don't believe that I can do this, whether it is, I believe that my children are bad behaved or are well behaved, because if that's what you believe, that's what you're going to be seeing more of simply because you're programming yourself to notice those things, right? Yes. And if you have uh, entertained this kind of beliefs, then you have also a very strong neural circuit. And then this advises to just change your beliefs, to affirm them. You really need to affirm them for a long, long time because they have to compete with the old one. And the old one was used with many behaviors before. And therefore, I said, maybe affirmations not always work because the old program is still running. And therefore, I opt for hypnosis because in hypnosis, you are more approachable for new suggestions that go into your subconscious mind and also let go of the old one. Exactly, because people don't realize that our brain is literally wired in one direction. So when one neuron fires, let's say we have this one belief regarding money. And with that neuron fires, it's always the same pathway. And it fires the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. It's kind of like those little Christmas tree lights that one goes after the other one. And it's always down the same path. And the thing is, the more we believe in that and the more we reinforce that belief, the harder and the stronger it gets. That's why people who believe they're really good at something, they really believe they're good at something. We even look at them and we're like, look at this, this, this guy, he, he truly believes. And like, yeah, of course he does, because that's the wiring that he has been putting on. But the same is true for the opposite. So in order to change it, a lot of the times it takes a lot more than just waking up and saying, well, no, no, now I'm going to believe this other thing. There is some research, even in the beginning of hypnosis, that they said you have to affirm it like 20 times for 21 days. Like one belief, affirm it before you go to bed 20 or 21 times for 21 days. It takes longer and then you also have to put certain actions to your new belief to make it even stronger and there are some laws of the mind how the mind operates and uh, something that is familiar will stay so you have to make the familiar one unfamiliar 
and the new one, the unfamiliar one, more familiar. And you have to practice it. You have then consciously choose what you want to believe now. But in order to consciously choose, you need to be consciously aware of what's happening. Of you have to be in your frontal cortex because the other programs, they're like lingering, not in your conscious awareness. They are really down in your midbrain and they have certain circuits. And therefore, it's important you bring it to your conscious mind to be aware of what you're thinking in that moment. And either you change that or you use mindfulness to decrease the impact of that belief. Of course, of course. And, you know, we go back to something that we've discussed so often here, and it is that living our life on autopilot, we need to actually get out of it and be aware of the programs that are running us. And, and once we are aware, we can just let them continue running us so that we can focus our attention on other things. But most of the time, we're not aware of those programs that willing or unwillingly or knowing or unlonely, we installed in our heads. And they're the ones calling the shots and they're the ones making those decisions. Yes, and some for some people, as I said, it sometimes originates in a really traumatic events in your life and then you really have to work on these events and if it was not so traumatic but you develop these limiting beliefs then you don't need too much especially in a kind of hypnotherapy you can get rid of these old beliefs quite quite fast and even after it may come that these uh, or similar beliefs are popping up And then I always recommend that people get really trained in mindfulness. And mindfulness doesn't mean I have to meditate every day 20 minutes or something. It's actually quite easy if you get hold of a certain belief that's not serving you. Just to say, I notice that I have this thought. I notice it. And there you bring it in your conscious mind. Or is it a belief that's really distracting you? You can give it a funny voice. Like Mickey Mouse, let it speak like Mickey Mouse. And you say, ah, this again. Or you can say, ah, it's this story again. If you sense that certain beliefs are coming up, you can say, ah, if I had a title for a crazy story, how would I name it? And if this kind of story comes, oh, I'm the weak one. Oh, I'm so desperate. Nobody can help me. Then you can say, oh, it's this and this story. I see. Exactly. And again, it's just being in control of our minds. And a couple of things here. One is, number one, being aware of it. And number two, being aware of the fact that we can control our minds. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the other way around. And not because a thought pops into our head. Number one, it doesn't mean that it's true. And number two, does it mean that we're powerless against it? Yes. But for some people, it's... Uh, oh, no, it is overwhelming. It's so invading that you can't... Uh, then you need some help. But for people on like... like uh, living a healthy life, all of us, we, we have this kind of beliefs. And then you, you put yourself in the driver's chair. 
And the same is true in different areas, because what I'm saying is that I might be very well in control of my business, right? And I believe that I can get over any challenge that comes in, and I believe I can do all those things. But maybe I'm struggling in my health. And whenever I think about my health, I think, well, it's because I cannot lose weight. And I'm convinced that I cannot lose weight. And that there's something, you know, happening with me that I'm wrong somehow because I cannot lose weight or I cannot exercise or I just can't have the patience to be with my children. So in reality, we need to be aware that not because we don't necessarily need help in our business and we got that in control, does it mean that we might not need help to change a bad habit or a bad belief in our personal life or in our, or in our health or in our wellness or, or, or the same is true for the opposite. Maybe we, we are super healthy and we see it all the time. People who are very, very healthy and then they decide they want to do a business out of it, but they get overwhelmed. You're very, very right. It's you, you see this life circle and then you have certain segments in it. It's your, your work, your business, it's your relationship is uh, you have your spiritual life. It has uh, different aspects. And I've really seen people who are strong in all of them. I'm sure you have. Yeah, I, yes. And, and I think this also makes us uh, human. And my aspect or my vision is that we all grow. It, life is a journey. And we are not here to be perfect, but... Uh, to live yeah, a joyful life. I would not say happy, but a joyful life, an exciting life. And when you see in your heart rate, it's going up and down. And this is life. The biorhythm of life is up and down. Of course. Yeah. And there's struggle and there's everything. I always say that to people because they're like, well, I can't believe that I ran into another challenge or maybe it happens to us sometimes. I was like, would you go watch a movie where nothing happens? where the hero wakes up and nothing happens that day and then the next day nothing happens and then the next day nothing happens. How long would you watch that movie? That's a good metaphor. I love uh, that. I know that a lot of the times we don't necessarily want to have challenges, but in reality, that's what makes it worthwhile. Because if it was all easy and that utopic uh, you know, life that we don't have to work and we get taken care of and we do all those things and we just enjoy, we wouldn't enjoy because there wouldn't be a challenge. There wouldn't be that growth and that need to to develop ourselves. Yes. And on the other side is uh, this other notion of that you, uh, out of suffering, out of pain, you come out of stronger. I believe if you talk to people who are right now in this kind of suffering, that's not <laughs> something they're really aiming for. And I also don't believe that you can develop yourself only out of suffering. I don't believe Yeah, no, absolutely that. not. It, you, you also need, yeah. you do need that. It, it brings a very negative notion and say, ah, just go through all the suffering and then you will be the hero out of it. Ah, no, I think we need to be aware that life will throw challenges at us, but we don't necessarily have to look for them or we don't necessarily have to enjoy them either. We, you know, they, we're supposed to overcome them, but not necessarily enjoy them. That's at least not what I meant. But Silke, we've gone a little bit longer than we normally do. It has been a, a tremendously insightful conversation. I think we covered a lot of topics. Most of our listeners know that I'm very big on mental health because I do think that it is, it is the foundation of, of who we are as people. 
people. So being able to stay on top of it allows us to function better and to live our mission better and to impact more people better. So I want to acknowledge you for choosing this as your mission, as your calling, recognizing it and then helping all these people. Because I believe that if somebody can help entrepreneurs fulfill their missions And most entrepreneurs' missions is to one way or another improve the lives of other people. So in a way, we're helping their mission and we're helping a lot of other people. So thank you so much for doing that. And thank you very much to have this very great podcast. No, not a problem. It's a venue where people can listen to this kind of messages. So thanks for being you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Now, before we say goodbye, where can people find out more about you, perhaps learn a couple of the things that you're doing or even maybe work with you? Yes, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. And there my name is Silke... Lab, she like Google, A like London, Africa, Africa, B like Bird, Lab, or on my website, silkcelia.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure to link to all of those in this show notes. Everyone listening, you know how this works. You can just go to the episode description. You're going to see all the links down below. Whether you're watching YouTube or you're listening as a podcast, all the links are below. You can just go to our website at dre.show and find the links for this episode and together with our complete show notes and all the resources and my thoughts about this. So thank you once again, everyone, for tuning in. Before we say goodbye, Silke, one very last important question. Do you have a good time here on the Highway to Health? Yes, I had. Time was just flying and this is... I believe the answer. Exactly. If you feel good, time is just flying. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. I certainly did have fun. I'm, I'm sure that all of our listeners had a great time as well. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. You've listened to Silke Glab and Dr. E talk about mental health. I will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. What a great conversation. I love talking to Silky, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. What was your favorite takeaway? Please share this episode with anyone you know who's an entrepreneur, business owner, or in a stressful job or position. I'm sure they will learn a lot from this and improve their work life. But what about you? What did you learn from this conversation? Tag me on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know. And by the way, remember that you can find the links to everything we discussed in this episode in the show notes. Just scroll down to this episode's description on your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. And before you go, remember to check out my new coaching programs at dre.show forward slash coach. See the different options, learn more, ask questions, and decide whether or not health coaching is right for you and your goals. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Silky Glab and Dr. E talk about handling stress at work. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there.